Today on CityCast Portland, we're talking about a century-old downtown building that's going to help move people out of homelessness, our ever-increasing mosquito population, and how our city is becoming a destination for people fleeing red states. Joining me for this week's News Roundup is KBU News Director Althea Billings and our very own audio producer, Julia Fiaglioni. It's Friday, July 7th. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. Althea, Julia, thank you so much for joining me for this news roundup. Thanks for having us. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, welcome back, Althea. You know, I was thinking, Julia, that we're really going to need one of those Indiana Jones, like, bullwhip noises for every news roundup. So whenever any of us says roundup, we just hear whoosh. That would be beautiful. I love that. I mean, the mouth noise is good, too. People love that. People love mouth noises. That's what we've heard. Oh, famously. Fan favorite. (laughs) (laughs) So in honor of our new proposed district maps, I kind of built my first question around them. And for those of you just tuning into the show today, on Fridays, we discuss headlines of the week. But before all that, I kick things off with asking my guests a completely unrelated question, just so you have a sense of who's here and what to expect. It's kind of like an audio public service, really. Um, So if it had been up to you to name our three proposed district maps, what would you have named them? And to remind you, their current names are Alder, Cedar, and Maple. Julia, why don't you go first? So I went for a more literal take on all three. And what I imagined was how I would reference these maps if I were talking to a friend, being like, oh, you know this map, the one that looks like this. Yeah. So the first one, Alder, I named it the Selwood Northwest homecoming map, because in my mind, I think, oh, nice. Selwood finally gets to be on the Northwest, technically, because they just feel like they're already on the Northwest. Mm -hmm. And then the Cedar map, I went with the Sandy split because there's like this hard straight line right in the middle that my eye immediately is drawn to that separates Northeast and Southeast. So Mm -hmm. I think it's just like the quickest way to reference it. And then the last one, Maple, is the I live in Kearns because I wanted to move away from Northwest map (laughs) because I just don't think it makes a lot of sense. I currently live in Kearns. I would hate to be looped into um, the needs of that community. It feels so separate to me. And when I look at it, I think to myself, wait, I moved to Kearns because I wanted to move away from Northwest. And now I'm looking at this map that says... I'm in Northwest. Yeah. Um, So those are my three. Immediately, I just want to say that there is no hate for the Northwest. I mean, I can't speak for Julia, (laughs) but it just sounds very, like when you, it it sounds very anti-Northwest. So I just feel like I have to explain that Julia used to work exclusively in the Northwest and she did not have a wonderful experience. It was a service job. She really could have Mm -hmm. worked that service job, any quadrant and hated that quadrant very soon (laughs) after. So I just want all of our listeners living in the Northwest just being like, what's, what did we do? (laughs) That's such a great tidbit. And I actually work three different service jobs at once in the Northwest. (laughs) That would burn anyone out. (laughs) What about you, Althea? Well, I, I like your take, Julia. I was immediately looking at uh, the second one there, and I was like, this is the house that Sandy built. Like, it looks like a little <laughs> a little <laughs> like peak of a roof uh, following Sandy there. I was kind of coming up with uh, sort of esoteric names, I guess, of just like generally Portland stuff. Because what, what are these, our favorite trees? When did we decide on that? So just to remind people, Alder is the one where all the neighborhoods are stay intact except for Selwood ends up joining the Northwest. And 
And uh, Cedar is the one where everything's split up by transportation lines. So that's why Sandy is kind of, you know, Sandy, it's its own thing. Um, and then Maple is where a good chunk of like Central East Side gets absorbed into the West Side, which is the one that Julia was very adamantly against. Uh, so Althea, <laughs> knowing Alder and Cedar and Maple, which w- what would you name each one? What would I name each one? Hmm. Uh, I, yeah, I like the the absorption idea uh, of Selwood. I maybe we'll call that one the stag. Um, okay. Oh, I like that. Okay. I think that we would call the cedar draft map that one. I'm going to call the bridge. That's the one that has absorbs all the bridges into one area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. The maple one, I wrote the river. I don't know that that is like super thematic, but it is like, hey, is this where tourists are going? Let's put it all in the same district, huh? <laughs> ah, okay. I would name them just uh, coffee, beer, and whiskey. Okay. So coffee <laughs> would be what we just uh, know ourselves as like our neighborhoods. And we have our little coffee shops in our neighborhoods that we're like, this is where I go and this is where I live. Beer, because it's, like, public transportation, and, like, if you're drinking a lot of beer, you shouldn't be driving. Mm -hmm. So you're just relying Mm -hmm. on that. And then whiskey, because, like, I actually do think that Selwood and the Northwest communities, I mean, we're we're all very similar. Let's be honest. Portland is Portland. (laughs) But I feel like people move to Selwood because they feel like, you know, we're, like, we're grown up Southeast in a sense, right? Mm. And I feel like they have money for whiskey. And mm. I also <laughs> like good whiskey, but like <laughs> talking about the Northwest Hills and stuff, if they invited mm-hmm. you, they would have like a whiskey cabinet, you know, and you'd just be like, mm. wow, I've never heard of that Japanese whiskey, you know. Mm. That makes sense too with the Japanese gardens being right there. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. That was a bonus. I see where mine's going. <laughs> I like that. I thought you were going off of like the three Portland vices. And then I was like, where does, where does oh, weed factor course. in there? Which one is the mm. weed map? <laughs> I thought about that. Yeah. That's only if like all of, of like Southeast was its own thing, then mm-hmm. I'd just be like weed. Right. Right. Cool. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for playing. And I basically brought that up because uh, public input is open for these maps and everyone should know that they they got to put their input in because uh, you could have really strong biases like Julia and mm-hmm. be absorbed. Yeah, someone's got to balance it out. So get out there and <laughs> submit your survey. <laughs> well, Althea, you've been on here before. So, you know, uh, guests go first. What was the headline of the week that uh, got your attention? The headline of the week for me was from the Portland Mercury. The title is, A 112-Year-Old Building in Downtown Portland Will Play a Key Role in Tackling Homelessness. And this article talks about the Fairfield Apartments on Southwest Harvey Milk Street and 11th Avenue in downtown Portland and how it is going to be used to create... Uh, low-income housing coming in like the beginning of 2025. It's a super old building that's being gutted right now and renovated uh, to become ultra-affordable housing that is aimed at serving Black Portlanders who have uh, are coming out of homelessness and also has like a preference for women and LGBTQ folks who need stable housing. Uh, and it's this partnership between the City Housing Authority, right, Home Forward, uh, the Urban League of PDX. It also scored some federal funding uh, to get to get it going in there. And it's part of this right housing first approach, which is, hey, let's get people stably housed and then work on getting connected to services and employment and stuff like that. 
and it's looking to be able to house about 75 people uh, making less than $7,000 a year. So that's 30% of the city median income. And it'll have support services on site. It's going to be mostly single rooms and a few studio apartments as well with like mixed use uh, space on the on the bottom floor for retail and stuff. And it's, you know, a great location. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is a good, um, I it's incorporating what a lot of like homeless advocates and activists have been saying that like when you transition people out of homelessness, they need to be in more of a peer supported group. They can't just be thrown into like any old apartment and there needs to be services on site to continue mm-hmm. their rehabilitation of whatever it is. Because, you know, a lot of um, not every homeless person, but a lot of homeless people have uh, substance abuse issues or or PTSD or, you mm-hmm. know, some other things they need to uh, work through. Yeah. And this also comes on the heels of another Urban League uh, affordable housing project that opened in North Portland recently, the Hattie Redmond Apartments, which is, you know, being being celebrated as part of this, you know, solution, getting people off the streets of this this housing first approach. Yeah. Yeah. The first thing that comes to mind for me is I wonder if there are certain like time related goals with people transitioning into that housing and then eventually hopefully out of that housing mm-hmm. into more sustainable options so that people who are in um, different situations can also come back in. And I wonder yeah. if there is a, a plan for that at this point, um, because as we all know, there aren't enough affordable housing options for everybody. So to have that like long-term term scope would be helpful in this case. Do you know anything about that, Althea? I guess I'm not too sure about what their specific stipulations about the turnaround time. Like, do you get a year lease and then you're out kind of a thing? Because, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you know, especially for affordable housing and trying to meet people's needs, it feels bad to be like, okay, well, you had affordable housing for a year. Yeah, that too. Get back out there kind of a thing. But I do think that that's important to incorporate, especially when you see backlash from people who are like, why are we spending millions of dollars retrofitting an apartment building? Or like, why are we spending our money on this just to house 75 people? Mm -hmm. I think you also have to have that longer term scope of, you know, it's 75 people as of this month or like this year. But moving forward, that that continues to be like a resource that Previously, the city and the county didn't even have access to leverage for people. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's, it's a really good point, Julie. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, the 75 um, cap did seem a little small for the price tag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I assumed it was also because there was going to be so much on-site uh, care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense. I currently live in a 100-year-old building myself that's been regularly maintained over the years. So I can't imagine yeah. what the type of uh, construction that's necessary to getting this building up to code and ready for people to live in. So I can understand the price point. Yeah. The other thing to note here is that 66 of the rooms are just single rooms. And so there's shared kitchen, shared living space, like shared computer access and stuff like that, which is fabulous um, for for the price price point for the individual, obviously. But I think also that kind of shared living situation, probably most folks don't want to stay there super long term in, in that setup. And that, you know, one bedroom is is probably where, or or a studio is where most folks would want to uh, graduate to after after a period of time. Mm. Well, Julia, what is your headline? So my headline comes from Catherine Chu Hamilton from Portland Monthly, and they reported that a few weeks ago, Multnomah County was seeing five times the amount of mosquito population Ugh. that is typical for this year. 
And it's not even peak mosquito season yet. That doesn't hit for a couple more weeks. Um, So I'm going to get into a little bit of why that is happening and what we can do about it in the meantime. So first off, due to, quote, some regulatory issues that are outside of the county's control, unquote, the county was unable to treat large areas with BTI, which is a natural bacteria that kills mosquito larvae. This is according to Levi Jean. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing. They're a supervisor at Multnomah County Vector Control. And that's really all the information that we know about that decision. But instead of what they usually do, which is fly by helicopter over Multnomah County to release this BTI, they went by foot on all-terrain vehicles and released the BTI that way. So it wasn't as effective, and it turns out that there were other counties along the Columbia River that didn't spray this year either. So it's kind of like a cesspool for mosquitoes to just have a ball this season. Um, but there is a second reason why there is there are so many mosquitoes as well, and that's due to climate change. Um, Chu Hamilton wrote that the warm spring caused mountain snowpack to melt earlier than usual, which in turn overflowed portions of the Willamette and Columbia Rivers, creating the standing water in which mosquitoes breed. So this essentially means that we're not only seeing a more intense mosquito season, but a longer one because of all the heat that we saw um, earlier this year during springtime. And the craziest thing of all, and this is the last thing I'll say before I open it up to you guys, um, even with the aerial BTI treatment that they did last year, we hit record-breaking numbers. So we're already set to far surpass the numbers um, this year because, I mean, first of all, we didn't have that treatment. There was a warmer spring, you name it. Um, So get ready. (laughs) Yeah. Elthie, you're born and raised Northwest, right? Mm -hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the beautiful features of the Northwest, aside from, you know, all its vast beauty, is that you guys don't really have mosquitoes, right? Like, it's, it's not a... I mean, I mean, if you go to a swampy area, you're gonna, there's going to be mosquitoes, but it's not like a general thing. Like, Because I've, I've been living in the Northwest since 2001, and mosquitoes are so rare, like, to get bit. So this is really bummer, if, like, bummer news for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Just for me, not anyone else, just me personally. <laughs> Multnomah County didn't spray it just to hurt my feelings, and I don't like that they did that. Um, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> I yeah, will fully validate. Uh, growing up in the Northwest, that mosquitoes are a rarity. You know, it's like oh, I walked through a cloud of them because I'm, you know, of whatever, <laughs> wherever I'm standing. I'm thinking specifically of like a wet soccer field in September, uh, and then you know that that's where they are, and then we're gone, and then you don't have to deal with it hardly ever. Uh, so. Definitely that that uptick is is concerning. I will say, like, re, uh, hearing you speak about this article, it is kind of nice to be validated that, like, my anecdotal evidence of, like, hey, there sure are a lot of mosquitoes going around, <laughs> like, is supported <laughs> by uh, actual measurement and that the county also noticed and is working on it. And, hey, your tax dollars at work trying to not have a zillion mosquitoes everywhere all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, just anecdotal evidence again. Kelly Point around this time is like the worst mosquitoes. That's the worst I've been bit in a long time when I was just hanging out there trying to eat some grapefruit, you know, just trying to chill out. <laughs> Not the grapefruit. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. Cut up with a little hot sauce, you guys. Ooh. That's, just, that's, a, that's a free tip out there. That's a homework okay. assignment for me. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. Anyhow, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, so some good news 
Um, the experts are not very concerned that these mosquitoes are carrying the West Nile virus because they are flood water mosquitoes. Um, they don't typically carry diseases. But I do have some tips on avoiding further breeding and biting. So for starters, just emptying out any standing water around your house uh, because they can breed in as little as an inch of water. So examples of that would be like flower pots, gutters, pool covers, um, and if you're really fancy and you have an actual pond, like a decorative pond on your property, you have until August 30th to order a mosquito fish from the county to eat all of the mosquito larvae within the pond. So mark your calendars, get your mosquito fish. I kind of want to order one for fun and like raise it in a little <laughs> fish tank. They're kind of cute. You should look up a little picture, like these tiny little things. Um, but anyway. Wait, is that their name? It's That's so, what they're called. It's so sad. Imagine being exact. Do you know what I'm saying, Althea? Like, what if like they're just like a uh, sandwich eater, and yeah. you're like, oh, she yeah. eats sandwiches. That's her freaking name. And I'm like, my name's Claude. No, sandwich eater. Like, what that's if your name was hot sauce grapefruit eating? <laughs> yeah, you're grapefruit yeah. Claudia now. <laughs> yeah, like, ah, oh, come on. You saw me. It was one day, you guys. <laughs> so other things as well, just to keep in mind, they're at their worst at dusk and dawn. So avoid being out at 5 a.m. and around 9.30. But if you're hoping to do those summer sunset and sunrise outings in nature, just cover up long sleeve, long pants, mosquito repellent. What if these come towards, you know, inner St. John's? That's what I was thinking. And so mm -hmm. I looked it up and I heard if you grow lemongrass on the perimeter of your property or just anywhere where you want to hang outside, you know, at dusk or sunset, it repels mosquitoes because they don't like the scent of like oh. the, like lemon or, or eucalyptus is another one. Like oil of lemon eucalyptus is uh, recommended both by the EPA and CDC as like the only natural insect repellents, which is kind of amazing. So you don't have to like, you know, use all that gross chemical stuff on it. So for those out there who want to, because I mean, who's like, oh, I can't go out at dusk or or magic mm -hmm. hour, like the most beautiful times of the day because of these annoying mosquitoes. Like, just mm -hmm. dip yourself in some lemon eucalyptus oil, and you should be fine. <laughs> it's the new summer hotness. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Julia, for that extremely depressing story. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Stay safe. <laughs> okay, well, let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, more headlines of the week. My headline is, uh, it was really hard to decide because there was so much going on. Uh, the fact that like Damian Lillard is asking to be moved, even though we've covered his extreme loyalty and we've had like people come on and just be like, he's never going to leave us. And, mm -hmm. but then I was like, is Julia Rethia really going to give a crap about me talking about Damian Lillard to myself? And I was like, this is going to be a game <laughs> of handball. So I saved you that. But another thing that came up that uh, caught my eye was something that Anthony Effinger wrote for Willamette Week, that Portland is becoming a haven for gender refugees. A lot of people are leaving Texas and Florida right now, uh, along with 13 other states that have waged kind of culture war uh, on LGBTQ people and, you know, women and <laughs> and and transgender. Um, mm -hmm. So everything from like anti-trans legislation to book bans to, you know, uh, reproductive health. And some of those people are choosing a new uh, situation altogether, like especially those who have kids 
who are transgendered. Um, and Anthony did this wonderful job of compiling these like really cool stories of people coming specifically from like mm -hmm. Missouri and Kansas and, and Texas and, and their explanation. Cause like uprooting your entire family to move to Portland, that's so expensive. Like that's so crazy. But I was, I was looking at the data and so data from like Gallup polls and uh, data for progress, it's been estimated that as many as 260,000 people have already fled red states for blue ones and another million are considering it. And so there is this like queer rights researcher named Aaron Reed and they calculated that if this trend continues that we may witness the largest domestic migration crisis since the Dust Bowl. And mm -hmm. that is mind boggling. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing while reading that, I had to look up when the Dust Bowl was, and it was sometime in the 1930s. But I just thought to myself that it's wild to me how, like, just simply how people are treating one another and the policies that are made out of that, that can have the same effect as a severe life-altering, agricultural damaging dust storm. Mm -hmm. Like, those things are now on the same plane that yeah. that's being compared. Because it's safety. It's safety. Yeah, it's a safety thing. You're you're so right. It's about it's about being able to live and like um, one of these families. A story that stuck in my head is that this uh, family from Texas. They were just like, yeah, we came here to check it out, and our daughter, our 15 year old daughter, was able to ride the bus by herself to mm. the Japanese garden from our Airbnb, and we didn't even like once go, is she going to be okay? We just knew she was going to be okay, and that feeling alone was like we're moving to Portland. Mm. And it made me realize that, like, I mean, we've always said, like, Portland's so gay. And, you know, yes, we are very gay. <laughs> uh, but we're, the tolerance in Portland is just different. It's a different feeling than when you go to even larger cities, you know. Like, I don't mm -hmm. think once about seeing people, you know, of the same sex or whatever, holding hands. And you're just like, whatever. Like, it doesn't – I feel safe. I don't know. It, it made me feel grateful. In a way that I haven't felt about Portland in a little bit, you know? Yeah, I think sometimes it takes an outsider's perspective to, like, see things clearly or, or see exactly what it is that, that Portland does offer for people. I know I was kind of considering this headline in opposition to some that we were seeing a few weeks ago of, like, exactly, some yeah. of the top earners are leaving Multnomah County and they're taking mm -hmm. their millions of dollars with them. And it was like, oh, no, what do we do to keep the, these million-dollar havers in the county or whatever? Um, and and belly aching about that a little bit. So it w it's interesting to consider it in this way and that it is such a, a serious thing that people are, are having to consider. I'm a little young to remember the Dust Bowl, but... <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> Just a little. Just a little young. <laughs> um, I, on the other hand, remember the Dust Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Still got it in the lungs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that that there are these things that Portland has to offer uh, to people and that, you know, folks who live here, maybe we take it for granted that that is the norm and that it isn't even a question that, you know, same sex couples have the same rights and don't get questioned or harassed on the street. And I guess that's not to say it never happens because I don't want anybody to email in and start saying that well something sometimes bad things do happen because that's definitely true but you know e even just like looking at you know this sort of conservative wave of culture war that how this sort of um 
anti-LGBT aspect doesn't even really have its grips in Portland at all. <laughs> like that there is there is very mm. little movement on that whatsoever. And even, you know, the book banning that they were trying to do down in Canby got Pretty, shut uh, down yeah the, exactly the, yeah yeah althea for sure uh like there was this you know there, i don't know if you guys have heard the story but um a lot of uh parents and students in catholic schools in portland have like basically revolted uh against this archdiocese of portland and i don't know so i'm not catholic so i don't know the levels but the pope selects uh, these archdioceses, they go to like communities, um, and they're like the they're they're essentially the word of God at that moment, um, relaying stuff. And so, uh, mm-hmm. this this archdiocese, his name is Alexander Sample, basically said, "Hey, uh, we're gonna from now on, we're not going to accept that gender isn't a binary, and we're not gonna use any any uh, children's chosen pronouns. Like that's just not the way God works." And so, uh, that's what's up. And it was the Rose City uh, Catholic school specifically that was like, no. And it wasn't just like students and parents. It was teachers. They were just like, we were, I'm sorry, but no. And I just love that, that like, they were just like, uh, you know, Archbishop Alexander Sample, tell your boy that he's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Just just shut it down. Yeah. Looking at that story too, there was a quote from a parent talking about how even if, teachers are required to call students by their birth certificate name and pronouns, it's not going to change them back to who they were. Mm -hmm. And the idea of that just being a a constant experience for those students day in and day out, having to go to school is, is really hard to think about. And it's just so impractical. It's one of those things where they don't really think about the, the impact past the policy and what that means on a practical level. Yeah. Even just the top down way that it was approached in the archdiocese of like writing some musings about gender identity theory from the <laughs> archbishop and they didn't turn it into policy yet although I think uh the That was the next move. Yeah, they they think mm-hmm. it's going to happen, but instead going to each teacher, the principal going to each teacher at the school and saying, "Hey, promise you won't use pronouns. Hey, promise you won't s- call kids what they want to be called." And the teachers mm-hmm. are like, "No." And the parents pushing back and that you know, this sort of like hierarchical musings on what you know not not to say ivory tower but ivory tower (laughs) sort of thinks of you know (laughs) how how this ought to play out in catholic schools and not not getting a a resounding response from that from the the families and also you know that folks pay to to be in catholic schools rather than public school yeah yeah somebody was like i'm not gonna pay five to six thousand dollars whatever semester to have my child discriminated that makes just no sense yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, back to uh, everyone moving to Portland now. I'm just like generalizing that's not what's happening. <laughs> I just wanted to point out that this, this is the same writer who was also documenting everyone leaving. Mm. <laughs> and so I dug in and I, I appreciate that. Like I dug in and um, did like did some math, did the numbers. Um, but the number of people who are leaving, it's like a few thousand so that is so small <laughs> compared to our relative population and the thought that we're, we might be gaining some, like, cool gay people from other states. Like, I don't know. I just saw this all as a win. 
Because I'm just like, oh, so the whiners are leaving and we're getting some cool people <laughs> who are going to appreci appreciate, like, the, the, the culture and the situation here in Portland. That sounds great. Like, let's go. And I feel like uh, those weren't his exact words, but, like, Anthony Effinger, the writer, basically kind of, like, that's what made me so happy about this article. And I recommend everyone to read it because there's a lot more stories and a lot more depth to it. Um, but he was just like, yeah, it's crazy how knowing that a majority of, like, your neighbors did not vote against the safety of your family is going to make such a huge impact in your everyday life. Mm. Gosh, that's so sweet. I love hearing that. It makes you feel proud to be in Portland, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's Portland's Pride Month. Exactly. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, and for those who don't know, Portland now celebrates their Pride in July, so we get both June and July. How gay is Portland? All <laughs> summer, baby, that's Pride. <laughs> <laughs> two whole months they're like right now we're we're trying to calculate how to get august too we're just gonna figure yeah. it out soon it's gonna be pride all year long <laughs> like it isn't already yeah. <laughs> yeah well thank you uh julia and althea uh thanks for hanging out with me and going over some headlines uh yeah i hope you have a nice weekend I don't know. I don't. Sure. <laughs> never. I've never wrapped up so politely and so nicely. I'm just like, and uh, you know, God bless you. I don't know. <laughs> peace be with you. Yeah, peace be with you all. And with your spirit. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Claudia. Thanks. That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. Thank you so much for listening. Our lead producer is John Atariani. Our audio producers this week were Julia Fiaioni, Natalie Rivera, and AKL Moomin. Our newsletter editor is Rachel Monahan, and our host is me, Claudia Meza. Original music by Jenny Conley and Stephen Drizos. Additional music by Epidemic Sound. We'll be back Monday morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's. <laughs>